Today on the Hyperfast Wealth Show, we have an amazing guest who has bought thousands and thousands of real estate mortgages and has created a vehicle to pass on the benefits of these great deals to the masses. I'm excited to have Paul Burkett on the Hyperfast Wealth Show. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. All right. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Paul? Doing pretty great, thanks. How about you? Great. So I am I'm back in uh, Florida after spending a few weeks in D.C. for our big real estate event. I understand you're, you're calling all the way in from Dublin Island, right? That's right. I'm from Ireland originally, and I'm just over here taking advantage of the remote working opportunities and uh, doing a couple of weeks from Europe. Great. Well, we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about, in, in, you know, including uh, what you think will be a massive opportunity in distressed assets, distressed debt, and and some of the stuff you're doing to help people, you know, with with very little money get into to to that area and take advantage of that. Before we jump into to that great stuff. Why don't you tell the Hyperfast listeners a little bit about your background and, and experience and how you got to where you are today? Well, I'm, this is my second act. Uh, my first act was 25 years as a corporate executive working for Fortune 50 companies all around the world. And I got to the U.S. in 2010, just after the last real estate crisis, and saw that you could buy a three-bedroom, two-bathroom home in in Florida, for example, for seventy or eighty thousand dollars, and rent that out and generate ten or twelve thousand dollars a year, and I just thought that was the most unbelievable opportunity, and started buying homes, and got up to about twenty, and thought that this was going to be passive income. But anyone who owns rental homes will tell you once you get past five or six, it becomes a fairly serious job, and so I ended up with about thirty rental homes but was unhappy because I was spending all night and all weekends doing admin work to try and keep on top of repairs and all of that kind of stuff. And so I was buying a short sale from from a major bank in the Northeast, and that short sale became a note sale, a mortgage sale. So I ended up buying the mortgage rather than the home. And that blew my mind completely because in Europe, the only person who can own a note is a bank. And I'm not a bank. And so that was 2014. And since 2014 till, till now, we manage about $200 million worth of, of mortgages. And I've just built it up year after year after year and do that with a staff of just, just around 10 people in total and uh, much more scalable than, than trying to manage rental homes, more profitable too. Yeah, I 
uh, you brought up a couple of interesting points there. It was like one is you can invest in the debt. Uh, and then two, what led to that, your frustration with the time it takes to manage rental properties. And this is why, you know, you see the people that that scale and do that at mass. At some point, they have to hire a management company or create a management company to do it. Otherwise, it really is not passive income. Like if you're if you're, you know, one of these um landlords that, that only owns a handful of units, right? And and aren't big enough to take advantage of a management company, it's it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of your time. Correct. So are you are you, you know, with what you do now, has it created the same types of type of income and wealth building, but just with a lot less of your time? Well, I work pretty hard. So what it does is it allows it allows you to manage at much, much greater scale. I mean, for 10 people to manage $200 million of rental houses, that would be next to impossible. But with mortgages, what you're managing is really the borrower and the payment stream. So if the toilet breaks, the homeowner fixes the toilet. They don't call their bank and say, hey, Mr. Mortgage Guy, can you can you come around and fix my, my, my leaky faucet? So um, you're just much more focused on different things. And that's a lot more scalable because you need to be expert at a smaller group of things as opposed to a handyman, an accountant, a tax expert, a property preservation person, a rehabber, and a little bit of everything. So the mortgage business, much more scalable and in our view, much more profitable. And is it, you know, a lot of people get into landlording and, and rental, you know, by going out and buying one home, right? Yep. And something yep. anyone can do. And, and I think they're comfortable with it because maybe perhaps they've bought a home for their own personal residence first. Is that is that type of approach possible for the average person out there that's like, you know what, I like what Paul is saying. Uh, I want to go out and buy buy a mortgage or a note or, or lend on this property like how well, uh, how would that work yeah well 50 percent of rental homes are owned by people who own just one rental home so what you're saying dan is completely correct they bought a house they live in it themselves they bought a second one and they rent it out and that's a nice plan over 25 or 30 years you pay off the mortgage and you've got a you've got cash flow for your retirement and that that that's terrific and it's a little harder to get into the mortgage business insofar as you need you need a bit of licensing and you need to be pretty expert in certain areas and many people i talk to get into it and uh, they they don't really have too much business getting into it because they don't know enough to really be doing what they're doing um so what we did to help people into the industry was launch a fund and what the fund does is it pays an 8% preferred return to the investor we do all of the work and if you go back to 2014 up until today and just average our returns, we've made about 16.5% a year. So the way it works is we take 8% or so and put that into running the business and the other 8% goes to the investor. And we pay interest monthly or you can decide not to take a check each month and roll up that interest and get interest on the interest. And so we find a lot of people put money with us while they're waiting for, for example, the idea you had of buying a rental home, well, that might take six to nine months to get the money together to do that. 
we offer best efforts liquidity. So that means you can put your money in. And if you want to take it back out in a few months, provided we have the cash on hand to do so, we'll take we'll re- return your money to you with your pro rata interest paid for the period that you were in the fund. And is there, you know, you mentioned you were getting returns in excess of 8%. Is, is do, the, do the investors, you know, who, who invest with you, do they have a shot at getting above 8% or is it fixed for them at that? Yeah, it's it's our our target return for them is eight percent. Okay. Um, the other eight percent goes to run the business because when when you buy the loans, the borrowers typically are not paying, and the way we get them paying is by calling them up through the loan servicing system to get them back on track, and we take those cash flows and, in broad terms, we split them with the investor, and so that's how we generate those returns. And you're. You're able to to have this kind of success, I'm, I'm guessing, because you're you're buying these mortgages for for much less probably than than the people owe on them. Is that is that correct? Yeah. If you give a, a typical example, let's say the home is worth a hundred thousand dollars, and the mortgage is maybe a hundred and twenty or a hundred and thirty thousand, and that's why the borrowers stop paying because they think, well, if I owe one hundred and thirty and the houses are only worth a hundred, I'm really losing thirty grand here. I'll just let this home go into foreclosure or I'll, I'll, you know, maybe do a short sale. And what the bank will often do is sell us that loan and they'll sell us that loan, not for 130,000, which is what the borrower owns, uh, but maybe 60,000. And so we've now got the difference between 60,000, which is what we paid for it, and 100,000, which is what the house is worth. So there's 40,000 there to, to work with the borrower. And what we'll do is typically talk to the borrower, find out why they stopped paying and agree a new payment plan with them that reduces their payment, reduces their interest rate and extends the term of the loan so that their monthly payment is about the same as rent or maybe even a little less than rent so that they can actually save money by staying in their home as opposed to letting it go to foreclosure. Gotcha. So you're 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 providing liquidity to the the banks and you know they don't specialize in, in what you do so then you're able to go in and help these borrowers stay at stay in their homes not foreclose it like it doesn't sound like you're in the loan to own business so it you know ends up being a good deal for, for the the homeowner right and then and then because you're because you bought that note at 50 cents on the dollar you're you're able to get these double digit returns on them that's it. It's as simple as that. And then it's a matter of doing it at scale and making sure that it's compliant. Yeah. So how do you how do you scale that? Like how do you how do you find these opportunities and, and where are you finding them? Is it, is it kind of all over in certain geographic areas? It's it's all over, but typically where you see in the news, let's say there's been a big problem with COVID, for example, in all the tourist destinations. So in Florida, there's been a big problem. About two to three months later, you'll start seeing non-performing loans coming to the market. Because as you said, Dan, the bank is in the business of making loans. They're not in the business of working out problem loans. They don't have that expertise or those systems. So they typically will sell those loans. And so I spend 80% of my time looking for banks who want to sell loans. And it may be a year from the day I first talk to a bank to the day we buy a loan from them. It's a very long courting courtship process. 
And the reason it takes so long is because the bank wants to make sure they're selling to people who will treat their borrowers well. Um, they typically don't want to sell to the loan-to-own investor because that that's going to result in a foreclosure and a homeless family. <clears throat> and that's a headline risk for the bank that's selling the loan. And are you so are you are you finding all most of these loan deals through personal relationships or is there is there a marketplace for them as well? Or how does yeah, you know, how, it's, does that, how does that work? In the early days, it was all through brokers. There are loan brokers out there. It's a it's an unusual industry. There aren't too many people in it. Um, and we would buy a lot through the loan brokers. But just like any other business, over the years, you start to build up personal relationships. And I'm pretty well known in the industry. So people sometimes come to me. In the early days, I was making a lot of phone calls and getting a lot of no's. Um, but after eight or nine years, people start remembering you. And you know, from time to time, they call us. And so that will result in a, in a deal right there. So it's conferences, it's outbound phone calls, and it is the broker channel. That's really where these loans come from. Okay. And what's your what's your outlook right now? I mean, I know you kind of mentioned COVID, vacation spots. You know, where where do you think the market for these types of loans is is going in the next six to twelve months? Yeah, I think I think we've got a very, very tough 12 months ahead. We mentioned earlier the people who bought a single home to rent out, many of those are struggling to collect some rent or any rent from their tenants because many renters are also working in the industries that have been hardest hit by COVID, travel, leisure, hospitality. Those uh, folks tend to be renters rather than owners. Well, if the mortgage is not being paid by the rent from the tenant, then there's a good chance some of those homes are going to move into foreclosure. And currently there are approximately 2 million loans across the country in uh, forbearance or more than 90 days late. That's a lot of, that's a lot of homes. And uh, we will see one to 2 million of those likely entering foreclosure in the next six months. Not all will finish foreclosure. And by that, I mean, people like us will buy those loans and rehabilitate them. But I do think there is going to be a, a large wave of non-performing mortgage loans in the market in the next six months. And that's why we launched the fund to, to work with people to buy those loans. And where, where is it normally? So you mentioned 2 million, but yeah. just to give people a barometer, like, you know, where was it a year ago or, or, you know, where do you typically see, see that number at? Well, Oh, typically one to two percent of mortgages are in uh, are, are more than ninety days past due, and it could be seven or eight percent by the time we get to March of twenty twenty one. That's what our model suggests. Not and and if you think of the last crash that was in two thousand and eleven was the peak of foreclosures, and that was ten percent. So it's not quite as bad as the last peak, but it's still a pretty significant number of homes. The big silver lining for a lot of borrowers, though, is that there weren't the crazy lending standards that we saw in 2005, six, And so now households have a lot less debt than they had uh, way back then. But that's still a big issue, which is there's still going to be payments that need to get made. And people who are out of work are not going to be making mortgage payments, not going to be making uh, rent payments. 
And so that's going to be an issue. In terms of geography, um, last time, it was all the expensive cities. So New York, um, San Francisco, Chicago, all had big spikes in delinquent mortgages. This time it'll be the same, but also places like Florida and New York, New Jersey, across the Rust Belt, I hate the expression, but, but those, those, those states have always struggled. And anytime there's a recession, it, it hurts them. And that, that tends to uh, translate into non-performing mortgages. And so I think we'll see something similar again this time. Yeah, that's, that's kind of an interesting point about the, the Rust Belt. I've never thought of, like, it's really not like the best name you could probably come up for an area. But, so so that, that's kind of an interesting point. But you think this time anyway... Uh, you'll still see some of those big cities, especially the ones people are leaving, like San Francisco and New York, uh, right? T- take a hit, but now maybe more of the vacation spots, or yeah, it sounds like more more middle of America uh, might might be feeling, yeah, some of this. I mean, if you're running a chain of restaurants or you're running any hotel, lodging, hospitality business, you're probably worried about the future. And if you work in any of those industries, you're probably worried about the future. And if you're in a beach town, it's probably not going to be a great tourist season um, for 2021. And all of those, you know, there are problems that need to get solved. And the best way we've come up with solving them, unfortunately, is the foreclosure process. And the, the, the real challenge is how can you get through that process as quickly as possible and as painlessly as possible? Our angle is to restructure the loan. Um, but there are those others who want to actually get to the real estate. And you see that a lot of that stuff on the fix and flip TV type uh, TV shows. So that's not what we do. But from time to time, we end up with a home back that we have to rehab and sell. We've taken about 60 homes back out of the 2000s um, that we've processed so far. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly more the expert in this area than than myself. I only have uh, just what I've seen and... and uh... You know, luckily we're we're in the DC market. We've we don't seem to have had the same effects that other big cities like New York and LA and San Francisco, you know, may may have had. Um, and I don't know if that's just because the federal government is propping up the the job market there more than others. Or and and you know, I've also seen this stats that depending on your price point. You know that that really is going to determine are you affected and like in in my particular market most of the homes we're selling are like 600k and that's that's pretty hard for someone on not making at least 100k i think you know to afford and buy so most of them don't like in in the dc market it's it's you know restaurants retail that are the, the type of jobs that are hurting which you know the the people it seems like a lot of the people that are making six figures are getting to work from home and, and actually almost they're in a better spot depending on, you know, who their employer is. If it's the federal government, it's pretty, pretty safe right. bet. Well, there's been a lot of talk about a K-shaped recovery. Um, those with hundred grand jobs and above are doing just fine, thanks. And yeah, they get to work from home and, and that's fine. But those who are in service businesses, they're, they're really hurting and, they're not seeing any recovery at all. And so, you know, that's going to have to play out over the next while. And we'll just have to, you know, see what happens. But super low interest rates really help the real estate business and the real estate world and the economy generally. 
Um, let's see if it can if it can pull us out of the current uh, malaise that we're in. Hey, hold that thought. Do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best-selling real estate book, The Hyper Local Hyper Fast Real Estate Agent? If you do, go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download a hundred of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com. Do you think your, you know, your company's specific opportunities, will it, will it be in the homeowner that, you know, owns some rental properties, single family home rental properties, or will it be in apartment buildings or smaller, you know, multifamilies or uh, like where, where do you think you're going to find most of the opportunities? I, I think we'll see it everywhere. In the last week, I saw a $9 million apartment on Central Park South um, that I could have bought for $4.5 million. Um, I, we haven't seen 50 cents on the dollar type deals for a long, long time um, in Manhattan. I've seen a lot of multifamily, um, particularly in Class B and Class C, the less um, uh, upmarket type uh, um, properties and single family homes all over the place. Um, downtown, rural, semi-rural, we're going to see it everywhere. No one gets out of here. There's no place where you're going to get out of here with uh, with with just no, no with no pain to 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 soldier through. Overall, house prices are doing just terrific thanks to low interest rates and people. We're you know we're seeing people refinancing like crazy. The, that's fine. The problem is going to be the bottom 20% of the of the economy. Those people who are just barely hanging on and have been just barely hanging on for six or seven years, this will be the straw that pushes them um, into non-performing on their mortgage. And that will mean that that loan will need to be um, restructured. Yeah, I think it's an uh, interesting phenomena that you know you can have this large segment of the economy population take a take a big hit and then this other large segment almost go in the opposite direction which maybe that's where this is headed eventually you would think that 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 part of the economy and those people that 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 do get hit the hardest that that's going to be a drag on on everything else you would you, know, you would think it's somehow all connected like it can't be completely separate well eventually it catches up right the the the, the lower income consumer is generating the revenue for a lot of the higher uh, paid jobs and when their income is gone then the higher paid jobs revenue is gone too and it will play out over time it just won't happen you know in in one quarter if you look at the the crash of 2008, property prices started to fall in late 2007, but they didn't hit the bottom until 2011. So this stuff takes a while to play out. It doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah, and in, in different areas, I know, had different amounts and different timelines with, within all of that. So it's, it's you know, going to be spread out over time and, and be... Be complex for sure, and, and no one's going to know overnight or, or even 
in a few months. Uh, right. You know, it's probably probably not till you're looking at in the rearview mirror that you can maybe start to understand fully what what happened. Yeah, everything is obvious in hindsight. What would uh, you know if you were uh, the like the small call it small but but you know real estate investor out there that you know maybe does a flip every now and then or owns a couple of rental properties what what would you be doing to protect your current investments and and what what opportunities would you be looking for i think that the key thing is to make sure you're 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 supporting your current tenant and making sure that if they are in a a job that's a sustainable job, make sure you don't lose them because it will get harder to keep good tenants. There's going to be uh, plenty of rental properties available um, as soon as the eviction moratoriums are lifted, which I think is in most places is is happening in the next few months. And then I just watch for deals. I mean, I think there will be distressed sellers. So if you want to buy actual real estate, there's always a deal. I don't think there's been too many deals, and it depends on on what market you're in. But I'm just looking here, national realtor data out today, house prices up 5.2%. So I don't know. It's uh, It seems odd that the number of people out of work is at a record high. We've got businesses shuttered across the country, and real estate prices are going up. That seems odd to me. Yeah, I think we're we're probably seeing in a lot of spaces that kind of there's like two different economies out there and at some point they'll potentially collide but you've got this one group that is is doing well and is able to take advantage of low interest rates and and um and inflation right you know the government's pumping pumping trillions of dollars into the economy which is probably you would you would think that's devaluing the dollar and and therefore driving up the prices of of things like real estate so the people that you know the people that have the ability to um take advantage of, of low interest rates in a high inflationary market potentially like they're you know they're they're gonna benefit up until the point, I guess, where where the collapse of the bottom part of the economy like drags you know sort of drag them down as well. But uh, it seems now that government policy is almost fueling this this kind of bifurcation of of two different economies. Yeah, I think it's a thankless task to try and be in the Fed or the Treasury right now because there's very little demand in the economy. And anything they do seems to make the rich richer and is having limited impact on those who struggle to make ends meet. But consider the alternative. They could do nothing and we would have 1929 all over again. So I don't think anyone wants that. So we just soldier on as best we can. And uh, I think that will mean that there'll be some some bubbles and it may be in real estate or it may be in the stock market or maybe somewhere else. But um, I would just say now is a good time for for great caution rather than going crazy with uh, with buying more assets. And if you have a mortgage, it's a great time to refinance. I think we're at all time low rates right now. So if you can get debt and you think your tenant is the good is a good credit risk, then now is a great time to refinance. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, lower, lower your fixed costs if you can, lower your rates. Look, look for opportunities if, if you see them. And if, if you are going to buy, like, I would, I would definitely make sure you have proper reserves, right? You, you know, yeah. just, just make sure you can with, withstand not being, not, not having rent because at the end of the day, you know, prices are going up now that, that could change. Like, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, but as long as you don't sell, if, you know, as long as you're not forced to sell, you're not going to, you're not going to lose your shirt. So I think, and I, and I think that's make the sure key. you're not putting yourself in a position where you'd have to sell. That's, that's the key. This is not the time to be aggressively buying, in my opinion, because who knows what's around the corner. It's, it's, it's as un, the future is always uncertain, of course, but it's, it's particularly uncertain right now. So I think a bit of conservatism is, is not a bad idea. I also think that you're right. We will get to inflation at some point, but and we're seeing it maybe in real in real estate right now, but again, who knows? Well, this has been uh, really fun, Paul. I've I've learned a lot. I'm pretty sure our listeners have too. Before I wrap up, I'd like to do the hyper fast round. If you are ready, ready. All right. So just some rapid fire questions and answers. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give to a new real estate investor right now learn everything you can possibly learn before you spend a dollar buying real estate that's that's a great one uh what's the the biggest challenge you've ever had in business and how did you overcome it uh when we started the business we failed way 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 too fast i bought one loan and then three months later, I bought 10 loans. And then three months later, I bought 250 loans. And then I bought about 500 loans. So by the end of my first year, I had over 1,000 loans. And it was, uh, was uh, ill-advised because the, the systems, habits, and practices that we had in the organization were too immature for the number of assets that we bought. And it was a just firefighting constantly for about five or six months. And you don't want to be doing 100-hour weeks for five or six months just to keep the, the, the wheels on the truck. Um, and planning, it's not the plan, it's the planning. And I just hadn't got a good plan. We just went way too fast. And it, it, took, it took six months of, of brutality to get the, the um, train back on the tracks. But never, ever, ever, ever give up. Just put your head down and keep pushing. And yeah, I made some mistakes, but none of them were terminal. So that's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, you, at some point you have to learn by 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 doing, and that's going to lead to mistakes. But if, if you can at least position yourself where, where they don't take you out, then when, when, when you get through it, you'll be that much better, which seems like you've certainly done. Uh, what do you think is a mistake that it experienced investors make and you just talked about this a little bit potentially but when they begin to scale so maybe they have success on the first deal second deal but now they they want to get to 10 or 20 like what what's what's a mistake that that most people make that that maybe if you know someone like you advised them on they wouldn't i think people are most real estate investors are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are optimists and optimism can be your friend to get you started, 
but it can also get you in all kinds of trouble. And if you're optimistic about your pro forma economics, everything comes in more expensive and rent comes in less than you thought and everything takes longer. And so your pro forma economics don't work anymore. And I would just say, as you're scaling, you need to be conservative, have very strict deal box. We have a very strict deal box. We only buy certain types of loans. And you can come to me with other types. I'm not even going to look at them because we don't buy those. We're the best at one small thing, and that's all we do. And the beauty about this fantastic country is you can specialize in something and do nothing but that thing and still build a terrific business with it. Most countries don't have that opportunity. All right. If you're not doing a real estate deal, buying a loan, what would we find you doing? In winter, I ski badly and break things. Usually my shoulders, last year, one (laughs) shoulder, year before that, a finger, year before that, ribs. So I ski in winter and I love the beach in summer. So you'll find me swimming. I do about a, a mile every morning in the ocean which in uh, Dublin Bay, which is currently about 52 degrees, that is quite cold. Yeah, I can't imagine it's ever too warm there. So that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, Where do you see yourself, last question, by the way, where do you see yourself in five years? I think I can build a competitor to the municipal uh, investment funds that produce 2 or 3% a year for investors, and we can produce 8% a year for investors and with a comparable amount of risk for the return. And I think we can really scale that. And that's what I'm spending the other 20% of my time doing right now. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. And, and I know... You mentioned it before that you're able to deliver these returns to investors and then the minimum is quite small. Before we sign off here, do you want to just tell people a little bit about the investment opportunity you have, where they can find it, and then how they can connect with you on social media or whatever you you use to connect with people? Sure. It's a uh, SEC Regulation A fund. You'll find all the details, the prospectus on the SEC website, or you can find it on our website, automationfinance.com. We buy uh, mortgages and uh, work with the borrowers to get them paying. And so far, we've paid 8% every month to all of our investors. We haven't missed any payments. We haven't lost any capital. But any investment obviously has some element of risk, and you should definitely read the prospectus before considering investing. We pay 8% uh, a year, and we pay it monthly, um, and that's our target return. And we've been doing that since 2014. And if you want to contact me, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Paul Burkett, or you'll find me in the show notes right here, I guess. All right, well, connect with Paul on LinkedIn and, and you can check out Automation Finance uh, and his, his funds, Reg A, which means I think most people can invest in it, correct? Anyone with $250 to invest can okay. get involved. Yeah, so very, very low threshold. Usually these kind of deals, you got to have a lot more money. So yep. that's awesome. And, and, and I highly recommend you guys listening to this 
reach out to Paul and and uh, and please do us a favor, by the way, if you like the show, if you got value out of it, leave us some comments, leave us some reviews, share it with with other people that you think could benefit because we want to help and reach as many people as possible. And thank you for being on the show today, Paul. It was an absolute pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much. All right. And everyone out there listening, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.